just past 7 o'clock, and we love Monday nights. Not just because Monday Night Football, but also because it's Ira on Sports. 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira not in studio. He's on the phone with us. Good reason for that, though, Ira. And it may have worked out kind of doubly for you, so tell us where you are. I'm in Boston, and in the middle of the game, I'm, like, getting soaked with rain and cold and everything. And then someone texts me, and go, are you going to go to the wild card game Wednesday? I'm like, I'm just focused Tuesday. I go, I'm focused on this. And I just, I had assumed that the game was in New York, and I was, like, following it. I'm like, wait, no, I wasn't. I was going to head back to Florida. But wait, I'm already in Boston. This is <laughs> Sunday. Two more, how can I miss Yankees, Red Sox? I mean, wild card. I mean. Have to go to that. So yeah, so I'm going to catch both the Brady comeback game and the Yankees Red Sox game. So it is, and it is cold. Everybody in Florida should be happy because it is freezing here and it's been raining since the game started. I think there was this moment people said, "Oh, I think it stopped." It might have stopped for like a quarter and a half. It was pouring most of the game. And we're going to talk a lot about that game. Of course, Ira was at um, at the Tampa uh, Tampa Bay New England game last night. Also at Penn State on Saturday. Plenty to talk about. So no guests tonight. We've got enough to get to. But next week we're going to have Andrew Catalan on, excellent announcer for CBS. Uh, Ira, he was on the Ravens and Broncos game yesterday. He, he's he's fantastic at play-by-play, and I can't wait to have him on. Well, I mean, he's someone who, he's been now doing this for about six years now for CBS on play-by-play. He's on the third team, second team, whatever you see him. He's tremendous. I mean, he's great, and his insight is, and I think I can't, I like to, I I like to have him on, like, after five weeks of the season, like we had him last year, because I think by then he's now done five games. Uh, and when he goes to these games, he doesn't just broadcast. I mean, he literally talks to the coaches. The, he talks to all the, the quarterbacks, the offensive coordinators, and gets a, a sense in terms of what's going on with these teams. So he's been a great guest. Like three, four times we've had him on the show. I can't wait to have him on again. Yeah, he knows more than, like, beat writer. I mean, he has to study the 53rd man on the roster, not just the top five players. I mean, he knows everybody. Andrew Catalan's a wonderful guest, and we'll have him on um, next week. So it's interesting you brought that up about, you know, we, we bring him on after a couple of weeks. So I've noticed this. The fans and Vegas is starting to catch up a little bit, Ira, and it takes a little while. Going through week one, two, then a little bit of three, when you're looking at a lot of the lines, you're just thinking, like, this is way off. And, you know, either one way or the other. Looking at it this week, it's like, wow, all of these lines seem perfect. Like, where do you bet? And I think that's what it is, Ira. As the season goes on, we learn who's who. And right now, uh, just about four weeks completed, we're starting to learn who's who. Yeah, I think that's what happens. I mean, that's why it's so good. People make a lot of money the first few weeks of the season, especially in college football, because a lot of these teams are by reputation, by what they've done. And, and, and there's things change. Like there's players who leave, free agent signings, everything changes. Look, nobody left Tampa Bay's defense. And, uh, finally they got, they were, they had a good game last night, but they've been terrible. And everyone thought their defense was, you know, fantasy football knows that Tampa Bay was the first, uh, choice in almost every fantasy league on defense. So things change. And I think now you're trying to understanding who, who are the pretenders and who are the real teams. But this is what happened last year. I mean, the Steelers last year got out to that huge nine, what, nine straight wins. 11. And, uh, and fell apart. So it's just, it, it, it all changes. But the fact is we're starting to get a sense in terms of, some of these teams and who's really like who are really good and, and maybe whose teams are, are struggling. Yeah, Washington's defense is ranked bottom five. Like who saw that coming? It's just just crazy. So before we get into um, you know your escapades in New England, I want to talk about something that I noticed. And I know you didn't watch a lot of the uh, one o'clock yesterday. You were listening to them, flipping back and forth, catching highlights today. But 
there's really no punting on inside fourth and four anymore. Ira, I'm telling you, it was a dozen times yesterday where teams are, it's the first quarter, they're on their own 40-yard line, first and th- uh, fourth and four, and they go for it. I mean, it's just like, you're not giving the ball back anymore. It's a four-down league, and I've just, it's, it's been coming, I guess, with the explosion of offense over the last five years, but I've never seen it like this. Yeah, well, there's a, the head coach of a Presbyterian College, um, I'd love to get him on the show. He has this, he coached in high school and he was this whole, one of my best high school coaches in the country and he never punts at all. They put fourth down, fourth and 20, fourth and 30, never punts, always goes on fourth down and always kicks onside kicks. But you're starting to see more of that come into. And even in college, Mississippi, uh, Lane Kiffin went in the first half four times on fourth down against Alabama under, with the thought that we're not going to stop Alabama defense. We have to keep scoring. And I think you're seeing a lot of these teams, if it's, you're right, anything fourth and four, fourth and five, uh, these teams, there's a lot of the philosophy now is to go for it, which makes it exciting too when you have less punting and, and teams going for a fourth down. I sort of like that aspect of it. Yeah, like e- Eagles did it three times yesterday, fourth and four, fourth and three. They're playing the Chiefs. Don't want to give back. Pat Mahomes the ball back. We've got Jalen Hurts. Let's go for it. I run Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk about it. I, you were there last night. Um, Tom Brady returning to Foxborough. But this is not the first big return that we've had. Yet it kind of got blown up that way. It's so funny. I mean, I listened to Sports Talk for a whole week. And everyone's saying, well, this is like when Babe Ruth was at the Red Sox, which are the Yankees. And, I mean, people are making it. They couldn't remember another time. But Peyton Manning in October 2013, he was at Indianapolis, and he had, of course, won uh, Super Bowl titles for Indianapolis. He uh, uh, won title. He left Indianapolis, went to Denver, and he came back against Andrew Luck. And uh, the Colts won 39-33, beating Manning in Denver. It snapped there. They had 19 regular season games for Denver. It played so well, came back there. But So that was a comeback-type game. And then Brett Favre in 2009 was playing for the Vikings and came back and beat uh, the Packers, 38-26. Now, I realize Manning, well, I, in many ways, Manning in Indianapolis is even as, as the same as Brady, not with the Super Bowl titles, but Favre and Green Bay. So there are, there's been those type of comeback games. I was reading some articles about like what the fan response was and how they uh, handled it, and then you know just sort of getting myself a sense in terms of what, the, what I should expect from the fans in New England when Brady comes back. So let's talk a little bit about Tom Brady's departure in the first place, because there had been rumors that Bill Belichick wanted him out four years ago, wanted to start Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, uh, Bob Kraft wouldn't let that happen. So how'd this all come about? There's just been so much discussion about this, and it's something that everyone talks about, and nobody really has the answers. And the same thing that Belichick met with Brady for 23 minutes after the game on these two folding chairs and talked. Uh, which was interesting. I mean, people are, as I predicted last week, everyone said, oh, you're going to hear comment. No. I knew that both Brady and Belichick were going to be professionals, say the nicest things about each other, uh, say that it was best for both, everything. Like you're, you weren't going to get anything. Now, maybe from Brady's father and Brady's trainer and someone who knows Belichick maybe said something, but not from them. And they said every, all the right things all week. And Brady's like, look, it worked out great for me. Uh, I, I wish the West for the best for New England. Uh, Mac Jones, the quarterback, is going to be fantastic. I think he's great. I think the team's great. The fans are great. I mean, they say all the right things. But there, there was this thought that they, when the Patriots had Jimmy Garoppolo, they couldn't sign him. I mean, there was a point where Brady kept winning, and Garoppolo was either going to sign Garoppolo to a big contract or um, have to trade Brady. And they decided, under Kraft, made the decision of trading Brady, of trading Garoppolo to the 49ers. But there was some thought that, well, if Brady had, his play had deteriorated, that they would have started Jimmy G instead. But again, there was this whole thought about New England, I think, in terms of when they, the trainer, 
for uh, his personal trainer for Brady wasn't allowed to travel with the team and be near with the team and stuff like that, and whether that was an issue. And it's just, I think after 20, I, I mean, it's sad that after 20 years, it, they just couldn't make it run for another couple of years. But if you're asking Brady, I think he's happy with this. I mean, there was now this thought, there was a book that came out to discuss that he wanted to go to the 49ers, called the 49ers up, and like, we're happy with Garoppolo, which is funny after this, <laughs> you're going to have to trade Lance. That he couldn't go there, but he was to go to the 49ers. And I, it would have been different if Tampa wasn't there with, an, with another team. Like, if no team wanted Tom Brady, would Tom Brady have just gone back to New England? I think so. I think he would have. I think the fact that Tampa made that aggressive play for him was, was one of the big differences. And I think how that handled it, like, he went to Kraft House and they, they cried, but they, he didn't meet uh, Belichick in person. But remember, that was right in the middle of COVID. Nobody was meeting anybody in person. So it was even weird that he met Kraft in person to do that. So I think that was a situation. I think people made a big thing that they didn't meet in person without recognizing you're in the middle of COVID. Uh, they had a phone call. They, they talked. But uh, in the end, I thought it would have been great if he would have stayed with New England. Like, it's weird. When I saw, when I was younger and I saw Franco Harris in a Seattle Seahawks uniform, I still, it just, it, it, you know, it, it, it hurt me. It hurts me thinking that a Franco Harris is Seattle Seahawks uniform. And thankfully, all the other Steelers, the great Steelers like Bradshaw and Swan and Stalwart, never wore another uniform. But I, it's just one of those things where I think if you ask Brady, he's happy. Like, this is to him a second career. This is totally different. It's like, this is his new career with Tampa, everything he did in New England. And I think New England fans, though, are happy that they have a quarterback. I mean, how many teams are Steelers fans? Like, we don't have a quarterback. Like, we don't have a quarterback next year. They have Mac Jones. So, if you're an Eagles fan, for the next 15 years, you're looking at maybe your quarterback. Mac Jones did look good. I mean, as good as you can be for a rookie in your fourth game playing against a Super Bowl caliber defense. Granted, they're, they're a little beat up in the secondary, but... Man, he looks poised. And seeing, you know, now seeing a little bit of Trey Lance this week, we've seen Justin Fields for eight quarters. We've seen a lot of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Matt Jones looks good, I. Yeah, I mean, he looks fantastic. And also, remember, his he grew up idolizing Tom Brady. That was his idol. So he had to play against his idol. It was weird for him. You would have expected maybe a 2-3 turnover game, fumble the ball, but he looked fantastic, made a lot of right decisions, had like a couple bad throws. But at one point in the game, he had 19 completions in a row, which is the most a rookie's ever had. And, uh, and, and, and I thought played... Well, put his team in position if they would have hit the field goal at the end to win the game. So Mac Jones, and I think people, have, think people are underestimating the pressure that he was under with this whole uh, Brady everything. If you mention, if you notice it in the talk of the game, he never mentioned Brady's name. He's like, I'm on playing Tampa Bay. I'm playing Tampa Bay. He was very careful not turning in this Mac Jones, Tom Brady, Mac Jones, Tom Brady. Like I thought he handled it great. And for a rookie, that this was a hard, uh, hard experience for him. But we mentioned the Peyton Manning Andrew Luck game. Andrew Luck had already been there a couple years and was uh, and and was completely was you know viewed as the number one player, uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the league at that time. So for Mac Jones as a rookie to play against uh, Tom Brady was very impressive on this part. Okay, so let's talk about <laughs> you getting there, because this is the stuff I love. Hearing all of the escapades, it was not easy for you to get in or out of Foxborough, was it? Well, we're going to jump to the Penn State game. I made some errors. Okay. First of all is I should have positioned, sometimes I should have positioned the hotel room, because after a Penn State game at night, it's impossible to get hotel rooms. I always keep thinking, oh, I'll find something. But 
I didn't get out of the Penn State game. So that game ended late. And it's one thing when, when the game ends late, like at 11 o'clock, everybody leaves. They don't sit there and tailgate till 2 in the morning. <laughs> so the <laughs> point was the Penn State game's over, and I could not get out. And they decided to block these different roads. I, they just made it impossible. So I don't even leave the stadium till like, 1 o'clock. So now I'm driving on 80, driving down, and I just jump on, like, to stay at a hotel. And I stayed at this Motel 6 in the middle. It's off the road, but it's too, it looks like it says it's off the road. But it's off the road, real, like... About a half an hour one way, and then it's half an hour back. So you lose a half an hour. And I thought it was funny. The Motel 6 I stayed at had the smallest television set. My computer screen is bigger than the TV set. I could not believe a hotel had a TV set that small. It was amazing. And then now I'm staying in a hotel in Boston, and I have like a 100-inch television. I don't know this TV is the largest TV I've ever seen. So I went from the smallest to the largest. But I got up the next day, and I uh, touched around in terms of being too slow. To, uh, then there was traffic. And so I'm now driving, it was supposed to be a six hour, the somebody came seven hours, and then I'm like listening on Sears Satellite Radio, so I'm listening to all the games as I'm driving, and ran into traffic after traffic after traffic, and then, when you get to Foxborough, oh my god, it is awful, that is the, I have been every, how many stadiums have I been to, 25 stadiums? There's nothing compares to Foxborough. It is, if they were gonna, it, it would be like the, uh, a castle, and they would have people trying to That's <laughs> Because there's one way in, it's a four-lane highway, and on the side of the highway is that there's like old hotels that people park at, there's garbage places, car repair places that people park at. The parking lots are a mess, and then the parking lots are full of like there's a Trader Joe's, there's a, a Bass Pro Shop, there's other things around it. It's like a high school football stadium. It's like if you went to a small town in America, high school football stadium would seat like 7,000, 6,000, and then put a 70,000-seat stadium there. It's impossible to get in and even more impossible to get out. And that's what makes it. I mean, I was sitting there like an hour once I got there. You want to hustle in because I wanted to get my pins and watch Brady warm up. And I'm like sitting. I ended up parking like two miles from the stadium and just walking through to get there. And uh, it was just impossible. That stadium is so hard. And then to leave the stadium is just I, – I literally went to my car around 1230 – I fell asleep in my car for an hour. I think, okay, when I wake up, nobody runs. I, still, you couldn't even move. People were parked <laughs> there. It's 2 o'clock, 2.30 in Foxborough. The streets are totally packed. Like, I think at 4 or 5, I'm like, I'm wondering, like, at 5 in the morning, will there be no more cars? Like, it's, it is impossible. It would be easier if they just had everyone leave the stadium, stand there in order, and have a car come and pick a person up and then drive them out and have another car pick up. Because I can't believe that you could have a stadium in a There's one way in and one way out on a four-lane highway, and it's just impossible. I wonder if, like, the crafts take a helicopter just to avoid it, or if they have, like, underground tunnels, you know, because they don't want to deal with that, and they've got the money to get around it. So let's talk about you. You always get there, you know, hour and a half, two hours early to, to you know, take in the whole stadium. You kind of didn't have the opportunity to do that? No, I did. I got there about an hour and a half before. I was okay, good. to get there, but I was hustling to get there, and I wanted to get my pins. I couldn't get those pins I like to get. I love those pins. They were sold out two hours before the game. I'm sure online right now, I'm afraid to look. They're like hundreds of dollars. And I'm like, why in the world for a game like this can they not make more pins? Because you don't have a ticket. Like, I don't have a ticket that says Tampa Bay versus doing like this ticket that I can put on the wall or whatever. Because it's on my computer. It's on my phone. It's a, it's a nothing. It's an app that has the, in your Apple wallet. Like, I want a memento from the game, and I cannot believe they don't have enough pins. Oh, they sold out. I got the, an hour and a half before the game, and they say, oh, we sold out two hours before. <laughs> It's ridiculous. 
So I got there. But the worst thing I did was I walked so fast and ran that I was was wearing sweatshirts and everything. So I took them off, and then I'm standing in the game. And then during the warm-ups, Brady, that was what I wanted to see, the whole warm-up when Brady came out. And supposedly he used to come out before, way before the game, throw the ball around. He didn't do it this game. But he came out before his team came out. But So he was throwing. I got People were, were clapping. It was about half full at the time when he came out and threw some passes. Then he went, but then he went out, but, but then the rest of his team came out, but then it started to pour. And he didn't throw a lot of passes. He was just standing there while it was raining. And then, of course, I'm trying to get these pictures. All my sweatshirts are getting soaked with the rain because it was pouring down raining. And then he didn't throw. And it was like weird. The whole opening of the game was really was weird sort of watching him and he was talking to people. But it was just, it was just weird how the storm just came. And I was sitting in on the 50-yard line in the seat thir- in the row 31, which I thought was the perfect seat to get cover. But it's one seat, one row short. 32 <laughs> had the cover. 31 didn't. And then the wall. There's a wall where there was the media where they were broadcasting the games. So if I was, there's 32 and 34, like I've been to the stadium a couple of times and I thought I knew what I was doing. And now I'm getting soaked with rain. People behind me are wearing shorts. They took their shirts off. They're having a nice time. And every time I try to sneak back there, the security guy would yell at me to move back to my seat. But it was like awful. And I'm trying to get these pictures and it's raining with Brady out there, but he really didn't throw at all. And then when he came out with the team, that's when they did the, mo- the montage of, uh, uh, Brady, they did, they talked about, but it wasn't really, it was so weird. When they brought that, I wasn't even sure what was going on. Like, there was so much noise going on that I don't think people would stand solid. It lasted a minute, but it wasn't that big. It was when he ran out, but when he ran out with the entire team, and I was facing across the field, I was behind the Buccaneers bench. That's where I wanted to sit. So I saw Brady join the game. And when he ran out, so he's facing me, he led the team out. People went nuts. I mean, they were going crazy. A lot fans were, were, were cheering. And so people said, oh, they saw her booze. They, the booze were so little. I, the crowd was so much pro-Grady that I, I, whatever booing they must have seen, it must have been by a microphone because I, I hardly heard any booze at all from the entire game. Now, when Mac Jones came out, people cheered. So they cheered for the Patriots. But I did not hear this booing. I was reading the newspapers. Oh, he was booed. I didn't hear hardly any booing at all. So let's talk about Brady for just one second before we get into the game. He looked out of sorts. I haven't seen him look this uncomfortable and sloppy since maybe like week seven of last year. Do you think this is the weather? Do you think it was the fact that he's going up against Bill Belichick who knows him inside and out for 20 years? What were you thinking? I think there was a lot. I think the weather, I, I, look, people do not, under, I, I, I was texting people this and people were like, no, whatever. It's hard even to text. It was pouring. And it was, it was weird. It was a weird rain because it was raining harder. And I watched the replays on TV. It was worse when I was there. Like, I'm getting soaked. I hardly could see. It was coming down. It was like Florida-type rain for that first quarter. And it was, at the end of the second quarter, it started raining again. So I think that had a lot. I mean, look, he's played in bad weather before. He knows how to play in bad weather. But I think that had some it – was, it was a weird type of rain because it was super hot. Remember, I was so hot, I'd take my sweat. But then it got cold real fast. Like, the, the change in temperatures had to be 15 degrees to 20 degrees. And I think that's what caused the field, if you saw the wide receivers run, they were running like tiptoeing around. It was almost very slippery on that field because of the change in temperatures. And I think it was probably difficult to grip because they, people were dropping their cell phones. That's another thing I noticed. I know people say this is crazy analogy, but I saw so many people dropping their cell phones because it was just hard to grip because of how the rain was coming down and just the humidity in the air and the change in temperatures. But I, look, I think that had something to do with it. I think it was going back against Belichick, and I think it was just the whole emotional fact that he played there for 20 years, and this was one of the, is the greatest quarterback a player of all time and coming back to where he played i think the emotion had some effect also and why he was a little uh, a little whatever discombobulated 
to start uh, start the game. 723, Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. Let's talk about it. First half, Ira, not much to talk about. It's kind of quiet. No, it was like one of those things where at the it, it, the uh, Brady went three and out on his first possession, and then um, the New England, Jacoby Myers fumbled the ball. If that call wasn't reversed, like I thought that was a fumble, like the referees were a disaster. And this is the same referee group that was in that New Orleans Rams game. That was a mess. Like there were so many calls. Like even I was looking at the announcers, it was a mess. Like I, I don't know if you saw it on, felt like that on TV and they criticized the refs enough, but it just seemed so much confusion on what the penalties were and how the calls were going to be made. And it just seemed like they were slipping. Like I saw watching the game, the refs were slipping and falling all over the field. Like there were plays where they were on the ground, like two refs fall, fell and weren't even, had no idea what to make of call but then uh, Tampa Bay scored a field goal makes it three nothing and then that's when Mac Jones threw uh his for his only pick of the game and at that at that time you really felt like oh wow, this is a chance that maybe Tampa Bay goes up 10 nothing but they end up going going down to the 18 and suck up misses a field goal uh and uh but that was but that was the possession also that Brady when he had to get one thing that was totally missing the game is he passed Drew Brees for the most yards in history of the NFL, and, he, and he, when he got to 68. So it was like they didn't stop. It was in the middle of one of their possessions, so they didn't really just announce. It was just so such a small announcement. They didn't make any fanfare or anything about it. And I don't think Brady wanted that fanfare because they were in the middle of the drive when that first happened. But uh, then Matt Jones, did, when they were up, went up down 3 nothing, he had that nice drive and threw it to Hunter Henry for the touchdown. Uh, and during that entire – you saw something with Richard Sherman, uh, who I think was wearing number – this is – Richard Sherman is in the Hall of Fame. He's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, best of, one of the best I've ever seen for San Francisco uh, and Seattle, Seattle when they play San Francisco, mostly for Seattle. But, oh, my, he was horrendous. Like, where, whoever he was guarding, it seemed like that's who they threw it. They threw it the entire time. He was, because they're so, Tampa Bay has had so many injuries in the secondary that they had, Sherman was going to play, like they said, a few possessions. He played almost, I think, every single possession he was out there. No, it was crazy. I mean, he just signed on on Friday. Laces up on, on Sunday. Uh, crazy how that worked out. And yeah, they were, Belichick knows, you know, this guy's definitely going to be a little rusty. Let's pick on him. So let's go to the second half here because was, there was more action. Yeah, well, I mean, Tampa went three and out again. I mean, they're, they're down 7-6. They go three and out. And then this is where New England has the lead. So they're up 7-6, and they're driving. And James White, who is their... Uh, third down back, catches Bob. He was hurt, injured, is on injured reserve. So they bring J.J. Taylor in. And that fumble, that Jay, and after J.J. Taylor fumbled, he never played the rest of the game. Out the whole game. But they were driving. They were down, like I guess, like 35-yard line. When he fumbled, that was, that was crucial. Because they could have gone up at that point, like 14-6. But Tampa went out three, three and out. And, uh, but then Tampa then finally was able to, to score. That's when they decided, I think, Tampa in the middle of the third quarter said, we're just going to run the ball, which is a Buccaneers fan. I'd be happy because they have not been running the ball well. And that's what helped them against the Chiefs, where they just had Fournette and Ronald Jones and just kept running, running, running. And that's what took them to the lead and made it 13-7. But even when they took the lead, that's where I was impressed with Mac Jones. He came down, had a nice pass to Jonah Smith for a touchdown. That was part of that hole where he had 19 straight completions and took the lead 14-13. Uh, uh, and then, but Brady made some weird plays. So he had that scramble where he scrambled for 10 yards. <laughs> where that was crazy how he did that. But they couldn't score any more touchdowns. They were just kicking those field goals, and it was like they just kept trading field goals. Uh, and but the Patriots, they were trying everything. They had two flea flickers with Jacoby Myers throwing the ball to Aguilar, and then the other play. Um, but it was at that point where they were they were they were uh, Tampa drove down at the end of the game, and Don, and Van Noy interfered with Fournette. And there was a, there was a lot of those close interference calls. And then on third and six, 
that the key play of the game was they were still out of field goal range. It was third and six, and you could see that Tom Brady, why he – and this could have been different in, in New England. He wanted Antonio Brown to get that ball, and they wanted Antonio Brown to come to New England, and he threw that eight-yard pass to Brown, and that was crucial. And they were stopped on the 30, but then that gave them a 48-yard field goal, not a 50-yard field goal. They scored to make it 19-17. And then this is what they talked about in the rest – then the Pats got the ball with two minutes to go, and uh, there was interference penalty, which was horrendous on Hunter Henry. I mean, Whitehead was going for the ball to intercept it, and they called it for pass interference. But on third and three, Jones on the 37, he missed Jacoby Myers, leaving them with a 56-yard field goal. Nick Folk had made 34 field goals in a row, but he hadn't made one this long in, in 10 years, and it, of course, just missed. But there was a lot of listening to the radio afterwards, and a lot of people said they should have got Wentford on fourth down there, and that was a mistake uh, to go for that field goal. I don't know. I, I think it started right when he went to kick, right at the end of the fourth quarter, it started pouring. I think when I saw a pour like that, maybe it was a mistake to go for that field goal. Yeah, I mean, it kind of was, but you had to do it. You could tell on TV that the rain was getting worse um, in that, like, you know, five to ten minute um, time frame. Let's talk about after the game, because it's all you see today is uh, rumors, you know, Belichick did do, did this, Brady didn't do that after the game. What did you see? You were there. I, I, look, they Brady, Belichick went over, embraced him. Brady stood on the field for 20 minutes after the game, like the longest. Like, everyone's leaving. The, the uh, ushers are telling me, screaming at me to leave. I want to leave because I want to get the pictures. And I got some great pictures. I'm going to put on IRS Sports on Facebook, on Instagram, and on Twitter of, like, Brady, when he ran out, he, like, put his hands out like he had won the Super Bowl, like one of those running out, which is great. So the fans that were still left that weren't getting yelled at by the ushers, they were screaming at Brady. He stayed for a long time after the game. But supposedly Belichick then went into the room and talked and, and everything. So, I mean, everything. In the post-game conferences, everyone said the right thing. They're like, did you, how was it like playing against Brady? They asked Belichick, he goes, I, I coached, we played against him in practice for 20 <laughs> years. Like, I've, I, I've, I coached defense for the Patriots. Like, I've, I, I've gone against him for 20 years. It's so different. Like, I, I know who he is. It's not a surprise. But I thought it was, it was great. I think for both teams, I look, it was one of those games that had to be played. And I think from the Patriots' perspective, um, it was weird, though, to see so many fans. They, a lot of them were wearing Buccaneer jerseys. A lot of them were wearing uh, Patriot jerseys. And some were wearing Michigan jerseys. There was Brady everywhere. And then you saw that a lot of the fans started yelling. There was a lot of the fighting in the stands were the pro-Brady versus the people that maybe you're too pro-Brady or whatever. But I think I told you this analogy is sort of like going to a, a friend's house that's like getting a divorce and you're friends with both the husband and wife and you're trying to talk to both of them. It seemed like from a patron perspective, the fans were conflicted. They were nervous. They were upset. They weren't happy. They were happy, unhappy that Brady left. They're, they don't like the situation. I didn't get the sense like when I was there for the LeBron return to Cleveland, when he left and went to Miami, everyone hated LeBron. Like, that was it. They knew where everyone was on one side with that. This was completely different. I mean, people felt like they love Brady. He gave them titles, they, they, but they also are, are a fan of their team, and they want to root for back. They, they just didn't know what to do. It just seemed like they just were very conflicted with this entire game. So, Ira, let's get into, uh, you know, you, you had to make a choice. You were contemplating going to Green Bay to see Pittsburgh play. Probably a good idea that you didn't go to that game and went to the game from history. Pittsburgh came out of the gate, looked okay, but it was really flat after that. No, I mean, they got it to a 7 nothing lead. Now, I'm driving, and I'm listening to it. I'm listening to the Green Bay announcers talk about this game. So they were trying to build up the Steelers. <laughs> the Steelers are great. And this is a rematch of, of the Super Bowl uh, in 2010 where they, uh, the, the Green Bay won 31-25, the worst loss I was ever at in terms of the fact that I think that that could have been Ben's third Super Bowl and denied Aaron Rodgers his only Super Bowl. But uh, 
they got up seven nothing, and that fumble. Ben had that fumble, and that sort of hurt the Steelers' momentum. And then the second half, the Packers opened the field goal. The Steelers punted, and then the Packers scored again. They did twenty-seven ten with five minutes to go in the third. Now remember, they don't score the rest of the game. So Green Bay's up twenty-seven ten. Steelers just could not mount anything. Now everyone is on Ben. Like Ben's awful. This and that. Terrible. Oh, it's the worst thing in the world. And whatever. But look, the, I'm a Steelers fan. I, I, he's a he. Ben gives the Steelers the best chance to win. Leave him in. I do not tank, believe in tanking the season at all. And if the Steelers can get in at a 500 record, every game matters. Try to battle it so they're mathematically eliminated. I, I would go for it. I don't understand this whole idea of, of giving up the season when they're 1-3. Last year when they were 9-0, and I mean, it was one thing. And then this year, but I still think that, I, I, look, Ben was not the greatest. He's not what he once was. But he gives us the Steelers a better chance than Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. So I see no, they're not going to bring in Terry Bradshaw. Like, I think, I was thinking when I was driving this, people in, around, even in Pittsburgh, think that the, the quarterback, his, the history of, of the Steelers went from Terry Bradshaw to Ben Rotzenberger. There was a 20-year cap in the middle. Like, when you watch Terry Bradshaw on TV, he's not like 55 years old. <laughs> he's like 75 years old. There was a lot of Tommy Maddox and Bobby Bristers and Cordell Stewart and Neil O'Donnell. There were a lot of other quarterbacks in between. And as you know from the Dolphins, it's hard to get these quarterbacks. So I'm not so upset that we keep using Ben. Like, I think it's hard to find other quarterbacks. Let's go to um, Dallas and Carolina. Big win for Dallas, 36-28 to over the Panthers. This team looks a lot better and a lot more encouraging than the Dallas Cowboys teams of the past. They may not be the best defense in the league, Ira, but they lead the league in takeaways, which is important. They did enough to win tonight, and I think that this team, with the six games they're going to get to play against the AFC, uh, NFC East as well, could make a deep playoff run with a good, good, good record. Well, Dan Quinn, they, they brought in a finally defensive coordinator. We, we remember him from Seattle. What a great defensive coach. And he coached in Atlanta, got fired. Um, but sometimes it's you're much better as a coordinator than you are a coach. And what he's done in Dallas is amazing. And Traycon Diggs, I watched him against uh, on uh, Monday night. We talked about that Monday night game where they blew out the Eagles. And the game wasn't even close at all. As I, we had both said that we thought Dallas was going to win. But uh, Diggs locked down Devontae Smith. And it's hard to say that there's another quarterback in the league right now. He has five interceptions that's better than Trayvon Diggs. Like, it's amazing how he can cover these wide receivers. And he's just he's tremendous. And I think he's part of the entire with the Micah Parsons and the Vanders uh, and all the other defensive players that Dallas has that they're really playing, and that's helped. And then they start, they ran the ball. And we talked about two weeks ago, uh, Zico Elliott not running. He had 20 carries, 143 yards, a touchdown. He had a 47-yard run, which they said is the longest run in, what, four or five years? Uh, so he had 245 total yards rushing. Uh, uh, Prescott only threw the ball, completed 14 passes for four touchdowns. But this is a Carolina team that was undefeated. And a uh, big win for Dallas. Dallas looks great. And considering how the Giants and, the, and Washington uh, and Philadelphia, it looks like this is the division, Dallas' division easy. Yeah, it's not going to be close. They, they could win, you know, they're going to win five of these games. Um, I, I mentioned on the show a couple of times, the NFL's gotten either lucky or smart in putting great games in prime time. And this was one on Thursday night where it's like, ew, Jacksonville and Cincinnati haven't been excited about this matchup in forever. With the rookie quarterbacks, we're like, okay, this could be pretty cool. It turned out to be a great game. And Joe Burrow, man, he's the real deal. I, I like this kid more and more every week. Uh, two touchdowns. He was 25 for 32. And he just looks great. He can throw on the run. Both Lawrence and Burrow looked amazing out there. It's exciting game, considering I had two fantasy players in the game, so I was really intrigued by this. But uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> Burrow is the, uh, totally the real deal. And I, I, I keep saying, I think Jacksonville keeps getting better and better and better. Now they're talking about Urban Meyer and what he was 
at his bar, at the restaurant that he owns, and, and what happened, he has to apologize, and people are calling for him to resign, all these things. But Jacksonville, to me, each week gets better. Like, I keep betting them against the line because I think people are, are, people are underestimating the just improvement that Jacksonville is doing on the running game, on the defensive side, each week. But that was a great game. You're exactly right. These primetime games, every, it seems like every single one of them, Monday or Thursday and Sunday nights, have been great. Absolutely. So you just brought up the line, and I was looking <laughs> through, and the Bills were giving 16.5 points to the Texans, and I was thinking, man, that's just a lot of points. These are NFL teams. Boy, was I wrong. This game got out of hand fast, and I think, <laughs> how many yards did Houston end up having? Like like 60 yards for the game? It was, it was no, pitiful. 109 total yeah. yards. Bills forced five turnovers. That first week, the Steelers-Bills, that's one thing when people are looking, I mean, People saw that and like, oh, the Bills aren't what they were last year. They have pumps. Now they've had two shutouts in three weeks. They were 35 nothing over Miami. They're the one team in the league that has a defense that is just totally destroying the opposition, and they have an offense in Josh Allen that can score whenever he wants by running and passing at 250 yards, two touchdowns, uh, and he ran six times for 41. They, they had first downs, 26 first downs, and Houston only had six. Uh, Buffalo... They have the one loss to Pittsburgh, but besides that one loss, they're dominating. They look like the best team in the league right now. Let's go to uh, Arizona and Rams. And speaking of best team in the league, we might have them in the Arizona Cardinals. They're four and zero. Well, nobody. nobody said, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Sir. I was going to say nobody predicted them to beat the Rams. I, I'm. I'll admit, I was not serious thinking that th- that this team was going to be any better than a nine or ten win team. But man, Ira, they look great on both sides of the ball. Well, the Rams had a hangover the week before beating the Buccaneers. I think this is one thing where they, they just they had that big win, and they probably relaxed all week, and Stafford had an interception early, and Sony Michelle had a fumble, and Kyler Murray came in there, and they jumped up 34-13. to 13, uh, And people are just sleeping. That in, we've talked about this before. The NFC West between Arizona, the Rams, Seattle, San Francisco, Four teams all are going to make the playoffs. They're all capable of winning the Super Bowl, and uh, that is, it is, the best, uh, is the best division, clearly, in the NFL. But Kyler Murray, put, now I see he's the favorite for the, uh, high, for the uh, MVP. MVP yeah. yards, two touchdowns. Uh, he, I, I saw him, remember, two years ago when the Steelers played in Arizona. I came back saying, wow, he's good. Like, I was blown away. He's so much faster when you see him there. And he has a, a cannon for an arm, and he, and he gets clear lanes. And what I like about it, he doesn't just run. Like, he actually runs around to buy himself time to throw, unlike Lamar Jackson, who actually flew well this past week. But the point is, everything about Kyler Murray. And I think last year, he got banged up a little at the end of, this, uh, end of the year. But this year, boy, he is just and – he's, and he's not going to Hopkins. He's not forcing the ball. But that was a good win, and, and, they, and the Arizona defense, has been good to be able to shut the, the Rams down and hold them to 20 points was great. So Miami, Ira, came into this game, I, I know they're without their starting quarterback. Jacoby Brissett's in instead of Tua Tagovailoa. A lot of people are arguing that Jacoby Brissett's better than Tua. That is yet to be seen. I'm not going to go that far. But, man, you got to be better against the Colts. They di- just they looked bad. Not even not good. They looked bad for most of this game. The Colts were winless. They got a big win here. And Miami now, it's just like Tua might be back to 17th, but you, you have no confidence in this team. Well, Miami, in the middle of the quarters, the, between the second and third quarters, they were outgained 226 to 15, and they went 30 minutes of game time without a first down. That's all you need to say. I mean, they weren't stopping the Colts at all, and they, they're lucky that the score wasn't even 50, you know, whatever. Yeah. But terrible performance by Miami, and it's like, oh. And now there's questions about Tua and whether if Tua can go back and what kind of difference. I was expecting a lot more of it, especially Miami's defense, though, uh, is just not – but it just shows as good as Miami's defense is it can't – 
and no defense, unless it's the Bills, it seems like, can just hold teams down to no points. Like your offense at some point is going to have to score some points. It's funny, a, a good friend of mine who knows fantasy pretty well said the same thing. He's like, there's really no unstoppable fantasy defense. There's nobody that you won't drop. I mean, anybody's expendable because there is no standout besides Buffalo. Um, the Browns defense, got to give them some credit too, what they've been doing lately. I thought Vikings at home, they were getting points from the Browns. I thought the Vikings would win outright coming off a big win. Browns looked really good. And, and after an early shutdown, they went lockdown on, on Minnesota. Well, that, I, all this criticism Baker Mayfield, I, I don't, he had, look, threw for 155 yards, but they won 14-7, but they play in many ways like the Bills do. They just, maybe not the explosive offense, but they're winning and their defense is great and they have two and they run the phenomenal ball. running backs in Hunt and Chubb, who, and they run for 200 yards almost every game. And the Ravens in many ways play that same way too. You're getting all these teams with the Browns, Ravens, and Bills that with these defenses. So I'm not so, again, I, when you look at Kansas City struggles and how they're struggling on defense and, and have to outscore every team, I like how the Browns are winning. I like how the Bills are winning. I like how the Ravens are winning. So I, I, I just think this Christian Mayfield, oh, they can't win a Super Bowl without Baker Mayfield. I clearly see how you can win the Super Bowl with Baker Mayfield. Like, I can see Cleveland Browns can win the Super Bowl. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, they've got enough pieces around him. As long as he doesn't make mistakes, of course they could. Uh, my lock of the week, I was Giants plus 7.5 against the Saints. Didn't even need the points. They won outright. <laughs> well, that was a good pick. Um, <laughs> Daniel Jones, 400 yards throwing. Uh, I thought the Saints looked. I I I was I'm not totally sold on Winston. He did throw the interceptions, but I thought people were putting them in a category which I didn't think they were in in terms of being so. I, I was I think they're a 500 team that just got up to a really good start. But it was a good win for the Giants finally um, to finally to do something. And it was the first time the Saints have had 70. They have a home game. They've had 70,000 fans, so it was without restrictions and everything. And that I've been in that stadium a couple of times. It's loud. So that was a good win for Daniel Jones through 400 yards. In that it's hard in there. That's one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL, and those fans are awesome, and that was, that was a really, really good win for the Giants. Daniel Jones had his first interception in nine games yesterday, and it was a Hail Mary at the end of the second half. I mean, at the end of the first half. So, I don't know what Jason Garrett's done, but he's not throwing uh, picks anymore, so that's a good thing for the Giants. Um, Tennessee and the Jets, Ira. I, does any, I mean, Tennessee, without their top two options in Julio Jones and A.J. Brown, but would anyone have picked the Jets to win this game? Not me. <laughs> Well, again, as a Jets fan, Zach Wilson, I've been saying, give him time. My friends are Jets fans, like, they're giving up on him. But there was that one play where he goes and is, is, is to take the lead, and he goes and Corey Davis, he pushed him down, and Corey Davis had stopped, and he said, go deeper, go deeper, go yeah. deeper. And just like with his end through a 53-yard uh, uh, um, touchdown pass. And it's like, he, his arm is amazing. And he throws well when he's moving, gets out of the pocket, very much like Joe Burrow in terms of that playing. And it was a good win because after the score was tied, I'm thinking, Tennessee's going to go down there, use. Uh, Henry and go down. He, he, Henry had a great game, 33 carries, 157 yards, but uh, they, were, they held him to a field goal and they missed the field goal. Jets win. So I thought it was, when it went to overtime, I, think the, I thought the Jets were going to lose because the Titans usually win these overtime games because uh, Derrick Henry usually has worn down the defenses enough that he's just going to run and score a touchdown. So big win in overtime for the Jets. That was, that was, I was more, more impressed that they actually won the overtime than actually got to overtime. Yeah, Zach Wilson, like you said, he made a couple of big boy NFL throws in that game, which we haven't seen him do much of. I mean, he looked pretty bad uh, going into that game, and he he threw a couple of nice seeds, so good for him. Another great NFC West matchup, we had Seattle and the 49ers, with Seattle coming out on top. Yeah, I mean, that was one of those things where the key part of that game is Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. No surprise um, at all that Trey Lance came in the game, and finally we got to see the, the, uh, the rookie actually play uh, at 9 for 18, 157 yards, two touchdowns. 
But everyone thought it was one of those games where Seattle could have gone down one and three. I didn't really expect Seattle was going to go one and three. They're two and two. Uh, they're another team that is is one of the, my one of my favorites to to go to the Super Bowl. So they were. It was. It was. It's weird though. I, the 49ers have an issue in terms of what they're going to do with Jimmy G when he comes back. Because now he says I might play next week, and they have Trey Lance. So they're caught in the middle between should they use the younger quarterback or Jimmy Garoppolo, which they, everyone knew when they drafted Trey Lance they were going to run to it. But from Seattle's perspective, it's like they got their running game going. They're, 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 they, I think they're on track now in terms of with that two and two. Was this was a must win for Seattle? Uh, Ravens and Broncos. Broncos came into this one three and zero. After beating three teams with a combined record of zero and nine, um, Ravens showed Broncos to take a seat here. You're not, uh, you're not that good. No, I mean I think that's why the Broncos play at the Steelers next week. But again, that was one of those things where they had an easy schedule. And I think the issue with the Ravens at the end of the game, they um, tied the Steelers for having 43 games in a row. Uh, the Steelers of 74 to 77, Harris and Blyer of having 100 yard rushing, but which um, amazing 43 games where you actually rush for over 100 yards, and that and uh, they were short at the end of the game. And with the last play, when they should have kneeled down, they went for it. And uh, Vince Sangino, the coach of Broncos, did not like the fact they went for the record harbo said harbaugh said look i was my decision i went to may do it i don't have a problem really it was it's a team record coach made it i don't think there's an issue i thought it was fine as much as it's Steelers record that they're tying um i didn't really have much of a problem with it ravens deserve it chiefs came into this game versus the eagles one and two which nobody would have predicted either but man they looked good patrick mahomes looked patrick mahomes made a lot of bad ill-advised throws but made the throws that he needed to had five touchdowns big win yeah, five touchdowns, and Hill had three touchdowns, and just this is the Chiefs of last year, which they're going to give them a lot of points. They're going to play high-scoring games and get into it. The problem is, is that when they can't score and the other teams get up on them, maybe this is why they have a couple of losses this year and they make mistakes at the end of the game. Uh, but but that was it was like I, I'm the Eagles. Have, the Eagles look terrible on Monday night, and they looked better in this game. But uh, they're going to have some long year. I, I, I think the Steelers are going to have a better record at the end of the year than the Eagles are. They're both one and three right now. But I, as much as I think people think Hurts is going to be someone great, but I, I just, I don't. I think the Eagles are terrible. Like I think they're not a good team. So, um, but I, but uh, the Chiefs had a good win. There. I agree with you. I would not be shocked if the Chiefs. Have, I mean, if the Steelers have a better record, they benefit from playing. They're going to play Washington and the Giants four times a year. <laughs> that helps out a little bit. Um, tonight, Raiders and Chargers, and it's an uh, AFC West matchup. I like the Raiders getting three points here on the road. What about you? I think we're both two and one, and I definitely think that I'm picking these. I think I, I get three points. The Raiders get three at, at Chargers. But remember, they're at the Chargers, but the Vivid Seats said that 75% of the fans in L.A. and the SoFi Stadium tonight are Raider fans. Oh, yeah. I think it would be 95%. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. I do not believe it's 75%. It's gonna, there are no Charger fans. I've never met a Charger fan. So there's clearly going to be 95% <laughs> Raider fans for this game. Um, I think it's going to be like a home game for them. Uh, I, the Raiders are averaging 30 points a game. Chargers only averaging 22. The Raiders are averaging 500 yards of offense. Derek Carr is playing great. Uh, the Raiders beat Miami, Baltimore, and overtime in Pittsburgh. I really, I think, I think it's going to be a great football game. I'm so excited to watch it, but I think the Raiders are going to win. It'll probably be overtime. They're probably going to win in overtime, so, <laughs> but it's still they're going to win. What, uh, what are we watching next week? Um, just a Bills at Chiefs Sunday night, huge game. That, these are two teams that are probably going to play in the AC Championship game. So to see them on Sunday night is going to be, that's to me, that's the game. Uh, next Sunday, remember, early game, Jets at Falcons from, from London, England. I hate those games. And Thursday night, Rams and Seahawks, another great. If you look at the primetime games, we got the game tonight. We got Thursday night, Rams at Seahawks against baseball. The baseball game played at the same time. And then on Sunday night, Bills at Chiefs. Just a good week of football. 
Ira, let's uh, change gears, go to the NCAA Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. We're here with Mike Balsamo. Um, playoff picture starting to shape up a little bit here, Ira. I think it's a little bit muddy, though. I mean, Georgia and Alabama are light years ahead of everyone else, and then you've got you know maybe like 10 good teams. Well, I think this is my early prediction of playoffs. Georgia and Alabama look unbeatable. And I think that they, if, they're, if they both end up the season in the field, they play in the championship game, the loser is still going to be in the playoffs. So I think you might have to – the SEC now is going to have two teams. Like, that's going to be – unless one of them loses going into it, I just don't see it happening. But then in the Big Ten, Iowa – this Iowa-Penn State game is huge this weekend. If Iowa beats Penn State, which I hope they don't because Penn State fan, but if Iowa beats Penn State, the rest of the schedule is easy. Purdue, Wisconsin, Northwestern, Minnesota, Illinois, Nebraska. And then they play. They'll be undefeated. And what if they lose in the Big Ten Championship game to an undefeated Michigan, Ohio State, or even a Penn State who came back? If Penn State could still lose to Iowa, meet Michigan and Ohio State, and then meet Iowa in the championship game, you could potentially have two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams make it because the ACC, Clemson, no chance. The Pac-12 this week, Oregon lost. Pac-12 is out. And if you're counting on Oklahoma, Oklahoma every week looks awful. Like, they're probably going to lose to Texas this week. And Oklahoma State's the only undefeated team. I don't see any team coming out of the Big 12, and that's Cincinnati. So you're going to have an undefeated Cincinnati team, and then against maybe an Iowa, a Michigan, a Georgia, and Alabama, Cincinnati might be the fifth seed and not get in. But that's why it's, it's one of those things where I, I'm going to make this prediction. It could be two Big Ten teams and two SEC teams make the playoffs this year. But that's just, uh, that'd be unheard of. It would never happen before. Ira, uh, you were at the Penn State game and a big win for you guys. It was big win because Indiana last year beat Penn State and it set Penn State on a tailspin of disasters. And then Indiana winning, Bennett beating Michigan and Michigan State, and they lost to Ohio State by seven, beat Maryland, Wisconsin, and then they made it to the Outback Bowl and lost. But it was like Indiana was going to come back this year and have this great year, which they really haven't. And Michael Penix, you know, got hurt at the end of last year, their star quarterback. And Penn, they come to Penn State struggling with two losses, but Penn State forced eight punts, two turnovers, blocked a field goal, and it was really Penn State's defense. Penn State has a defense now. It's one of the best defenses I've ever seen Penn State have. They're secondary with uh, Brister and, and, uh, and, and Tacon uh, is, um, is tremendous. They are, they are very, very good in terms of secondary linebackers and up front. This is one of the best defenses they've had. And Sean Clifford had an average game, but they, they actually ran the ball a little bit. I mean, this, the offense for Penn State was inconsistent, but they just dominated. I mean, they scored a touchdown, a touchdown or a field goal every quarter. Uh, it was more of a boring type of game, but just dominating because in the end it just could not amount to, uh, uh, to any offense at all. So, Ira, I talked about last week on the show how I, I root for the University of Miami to do well, but I think it's, it's going very badly, very quickly. Manny Diaz is probably to blame, and now it's just like complete tire fire after a loss to Virginia. Well, the loss to Virginia, I was watching the entire game. Miami came down. They had, thought they had this great drive at the end of the game, and I literally turned, I mean, they were kicking what, a 30-yard field goal to win the game, and they missed <laughs> And that was, and they lose. I, I, at first, I thought he made. Like I, I put my turn my head down because I think I was watching something else, and uh, on one of my other screens, and I just turned up. Like I can't believe he missed that field goal. So now they're two and three. Uh, terrible loss for Miami. Uh, the day that week that Florida State won their first game, one and four. They beat Syracuse thirty-three thirty. But no, Miami's in a situation where again, this is where you're. You cannot start a year thinking you're going to challenge for a national championship and be two and three and losing to a Virginia team at home. Everything is exactly what's been going. Going on, they cannot block. They cannot get their offensive line to work. It seems like it's the same problem every year for Miami. And uh, the other team did not play in this game, but it was it's it, it, whoever plays the quarterback is going to get just sacked because they're just they're playing with absolutely no offensive line. 
Florida State got their first win. Yeah, and that was the win, the win over Syracuse, which they needed to get some wins. They have a tough schedule the rest of the way, so it was like one of those. One of those but uh, a win, right now, when you're zero and four, a win is a win. So I'm looking, at, you know, going through the lines on Saturday morning, and you're looking at it like, man, Bama's got to give 15 and a half points to Ole Miss, who's ranked 12. They can really throw the ball. They've got great, uh, great offense under Lane Kiffin. It doesn't matter anymore. You just, you just lay the points every week with these guys. I was really impressed. Bama, you know, kind of was not struggling for their, uh, you know, what they hope to achieve. Still, obviously undefeated, but they blew Ole Miss out. Well, Mississippi had the top offense in the country during the game. Uh, Lane Kiffin was they were undefeated, promising that this is going to be great. Last year, they put 48 points against Alabama, had 647 total yards. Matt Carroll, everybody's talking about, was going to be winning the high, going to win the Heisman. He's going to be the first player taken in the draft, and they're dead. They, get, they ended up uh, they were down 28 nothing at halftime. So that's a team like everyone was. I mean, I think by talking so much, it woke Alabama up. It's like and not like the week before where they were talking about Florida. They were like, or two weeks before, they were talking. They were like talking about, boy, Mississippi really can beat Alabama. Well, they were down 28 nothing. Uh, Carroll was 21 for 29. He was okay, but, but Bryce Young played better. 20 for 26, 241, two touchdowns. And the key, the key thing was that Alabama rushed. Bernard Rob, Ryan Robinson, 36 carries, 171 yards, four touchdowns. Reminder of like Najee Harris. But they outgained him. This is a team that last year put 647 yards against Alabama. This year, 291. So it was like one of those games where a huge win for Alabama just shows how dominant they are. It's kind of crazy to think that a number nine seed would lose to the number two seed, 37 to nothing. But that's what happened. Georgia is just ridiculous. I would pick them to beat Bama right now in a neutral side game. I will not predict them to beat Bama, but their defense <laughs> is amazing. And Arkansas, who I just beat the week before Texas A&M, everyone's excited. Sam Pittman was a former Georgia offensive line coach. He has turned around Arkansas tremendous. At Georgia started, they don't start J.T. Daniels, the quarterback. They start Stetson Bennett, who threw the ball. This is like, they play like high school football. Seven for 11 for 72 yards. But Georgia rushed for 273 yards. They had four running backs, not even Zaire White's their star running back, who actually had two touchdowns rushing and one recovered a blocked punt. He was on special teams. It's like all they do is they put four or five people in there. They run the ball. They dominate. Their offensive line is great. Their defensive line is great. You can't do anything against them. And they're, they're great. I mean, their defense is tremendous. And when they're, I, mean, I was listening to that game when I was driving. So I was listening to it. It's like, it seemed like Georgia every time Arkansas just could not move the ball, could not get any gains. And uh, Georgia, Georgia looks undebeatable. I thought that Florida might be able to give them a game, and I said that, but no, there's no way. I think Georgia will be a, at least a 10- or 12-point favorite in that game against them. And it looks like Georgia and Alabama will play for the SEC title game. Uh, they Two of the best teams in football. Two of, the, two of the best teams in football. You know, speaking of Florida, this was something like, you know, they looked really good against Alabama. They could have won that game. You can't lose to Kentucky. And then that's what happened. Really poor showing from UF, and this is going to affect them in the rankings. Comments about Florida made, first of all, Kentucky won the first time against Florida in Kentucky since 1986. Um, there was, uh, there were, they blocked a field goal. Florida was kicking a field goal. Trevin Wallace returned a blocked field goal for 76 yards. And they inter- then they intercepted Emory Jones and scored another session to go up 20 to 10. Florida had 15 penalties for 105 yards. Um, Kentucky really didn't do much. They had 200 yards the whole game. But, but uh, Will Levis from Penn State, the quarterback, they had 87 yards uh, passing. But Florida, they made comments like, oh, our penalties because the crowd noise was too loud. They have 61,000 in Kentucky. If you're nervous about the crowd noise in Kentucky, what about the crowd noise in Alabama or Georgia or LSU, Auburn? I, I just I couldn't the excuses that were coming out of Florida. Like, what is with these excuses? And again, and maybe another team that kept – now it, it's – 
they kept talking national championship, national championship. They played Alabama so close, and now it's just that letdown of losing, and now you lose to Kentucky. The key for Florida is not letting the snowball, because this is one of those things where now they can start losing game after game after game. They have to stop the slide. We've only got about seven minutes left here, Ira, on sports. Let's jump over to the Big Ten, Ira. Uh, we saw on Friday Iowa taking on Maryland. Well, Iowa's to me is... This is why the Penn State game, this is tremendous. Iowa, for years, has had great defensive, one of the best defensive teams. Now they have an offense. They were up 34-7 against Maryland. Maryland was undefeated. Maryland, to Tagaloa's brother, Talia, he was, had no, throw, no, no interceptions. He threw five interceptions. So Iowa has this now great defense that can stop anybody, and their offense is tremendous. And that was what, that's, that's what makes that's what that, that Iowa-Penn State game this week going to be amazing. Anybody else in the Big Ten you want to touch on? I just Ohio State beating Rutgers. Ohio State got back on track, and then Michigan over Wisconsin, thirty-eight seventeen. I think everyone is sleeping on Michigan now. Penn State's in the in the top ten. I was in the top ten. Ohio State's in the top ten. Michigan's in the top ten. You have four teams in the top ten. Uh, Big Ten's looking great. It's going to be a good, good you know, between those four teams. This is why it's exciting as a Big Ten fan that we got some excitement. And then the other game I just wanted to touch on was Cincinnati beat Notre Dame twenty-four thirteen. Cincinnati was up seventeen nothing. I was watching that whole game. I mean, everyone's waiting for Notre Dame to lose. They got what they wanted. Cincinnati now has a win over Indiana. Cincinnati has a win over, over Notre Dame. Tom Cincinnati is, they don't have really much tough schedule the rest of the way. They got to hope there, there's a way. This, if there's, they, they did everything they could do that to keep winning, but uh, they might, this might be the first time that they can actually get in the playoffs. They have a good shot because now the ACC is bad. Everything's breaking well for Cincinnati to get in, but, and winning Notre Dame was, was key because Oregon, I just want to mention that Oregon lost to Stanford, which I don't think Oregon was that good. They beat Ohio State. i just not impressed with them, but terrible loss to Stanford. Um, they're out sort of out of the, the national championship pictures. And I said Oklahoma barely beat Kansas State. I expect uh, Oklahoma to lose to Texas this weekend. Another blow to the Pac-12, who already didn't look good, um, losing a game to a, a much lesser uh, talented, talent-wise team in Stanford. Um, what are we watching next week? Penn State, Iowa, I was favored by three. That's going to be the great game. Alabama plays at Texas A&M. Texas A&M is favored by 18. At Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Texas, Oklahoma's uh, favored by three. That should be a great game at 12 o'clock. And Georgia, Auburn. Auburn had a big win against LSU this week. Uh, but in Auburn's game, I would bet, uh, as much as I like Georgia, how Georgia plays, I just like, I think Auburn, for some reason, 14 and a half points, like, that's a lot of points. And Georgia doesn't score a lot of points. And this week it was good. It might be, I would take Auburn plus the points this week. And and, uh, but I w- I'm, the Penn State-Iowa game, I don't have no idea. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Going to baseball. Man, Ira, what a finish for two divisions. The American League East, you know, is a three-way battle, including Seattle, in there for that wild card spot. And we got a heck of a finish to the season. Well, the Yanks had lost two out of three of the Rays. That all they had to do was win one, and, and it looked like that they were there was zero zero in Sunday, and Judge did his own run. But they could have they they could it could have been a situation where you'd have four teams tie for the two wild card places. They would have to play each other. A B they were going to label teams A B C D and whatever. But the Red Sox ended up they were down five one to the Nationals on Sunday. They came back and won. So the Yankees and, and Red Sox both tied with ninety two wins. The Red Sox had a better record against the Yankees, so that's why the Yankees are playing the Red Sox. Toronto finished with 91 wins. Seattle finished with, with 90 wins. But uh, it was like one of those, it came down the last day. That's what baseball wanted. I mean, that's why they added the two wild cards. And that's what I like about it. I, that's why I don't think they should go to more wild cards. You can get enough teams interested. You don't need to have eight wild cards and how all these other teams. Like, I think this was fine to have the Red Sox, Yankees, Toronto, Seattle competing for those wild cards. I think that was great. But uh, um, I'm excited for, uh, for the game Baltimore. I mean, Boston and New York, it's just for one game of Baldy versus Cole. 
the Yankees are a slight favorite, but I think with the magic of with Boston, I think Boston's going to win. I really do. As much as I picked the Yankees all year long, I just there's something about Fenway Park and October and what's going to happen, and I, I just. Some crazy things are going to happen. I think Boston's going to win that. The Yankees have had the Red Sox number this season, so I'm, I'm rooting for that fact. But uh, it's going to be a great game and a great ending to a season. So, Ira, could you imagine winning 106 games, having a run differential 50 higher than the next person, and having to play in a play-in game to make the playoffs? Crazy. But, see, every, everyone, people, my friends who are Dodger fans, wanted me to say this is unfair. Oh, it's so unfair. The Dodgers won 106 games. The Giants won 107. The Dodgers had won, uh, swept San Diego and Milwaukee to finish the season, seemed to be winning. I think they both won, like, 54 times at the same time. And it's so unfair for the Dodgers to have to play in a play game against the Cardinals on Wednesday night. But the Dodgers were 3-7 and seven in the last 10 games against the Giants. They lost three out of four in July, then two out of three, and in September they lost two out of three. They had their chances. They went against the Giants. Like, I want to have the visions. I like this. And, I, look, I like the Dodgers, and I was rooting for them, but the fact is they had their chance. I, 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 I just don't think they, they, they should get in just because, oh, it's so unfair they have 106 wins. I mean, in the 1942 Dodgers had 104 wins at 154-game season, so it's actually more percentage higher than this. And they, don't, and they didn't even make it to the playoffs. The Cardinals got it to the playoffs and said you know, the Brooklyn, they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. The Cardinals made it to the World Series when they didn't have divisions back then. But the point is, that's how we've done, they've done it in baseball forever. And I, you had your chance. You had the Giants were there. You lost. Giants should win the division. Yeah. Uh, I, that's my opinion. Another thing, Ira, in baseball, you typically play the other teams in your division 18 times. So 80, almost 80 of your games are against these guys. It should. This, it's about the division. you got to win the division. Half your games are against your division. you got to win. It, 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 there's no excuse. Right. And I think the, the Dodger fans, that keep, if they keep moaning if that's what the players say, then they're going to lose. They'll lose to the Cardinals because Wainwright is great. I mean, I think that's where the advantage I think the Cardinals have. They have a 40-year-old pitcher who's pitched 13 postseason games, who's won 190 regular season games, who's pitched great this year against Scherzer, like in Dodger Stadium. If it was a, a younger 25-year-old pitcher or whatever, but to have a veteran who's actually pitching as well as Wainwright has been pitching, and the Cardinals are the hottest team in baseball, uh, that's why I think that this is going to be a great game Wednesday night. It, these wild card games, the Tuesday and Wednesday, great for baseball to have, and that's smart. They put them on Monday, football Monday, had the baseball on Tuesday, Wednesday, um, just perfect for baseball. It's worked out great. Yeah, that, that did work out perfectly how this is going to go. Uh, Clayton Kershaw probably not going to see it all in this postseason if they do advance. Um, uh, Luis Rojas fired today by the Mets, or not retained by the Mets. White Sox and Astros, Ira, I'm going to take the White Sox to edge out the Astros here in that other series. I would take the White Sox also. I think the winner of the Red Sox-Yankees which I say the Red Sox would then play the Rays. I think the Rays win that, yeah. and then the Rays would beat the White Sox. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. The, the, the Rays look like they can beat anybody. They're just they're, they're, except that I think the Dodgers will win the World Series, but I think the Rays can beat anybody in the East. They're just, they just win games. They have no-name players and no-name pitchers, and they figure out a way to win baseball. And I think uh, I would take the Brewers uh, to beat the Braves. Brewers beat the Braves, and then the Dodgers to beat the Bra- Dodgers to uh, the the Dodgers would uh, then beat. I think Dodgers would beat San Francisco, and then Dodgers beat the Brewers. Let's talk a little NASCAR. Well, a historic win today. Bubba Wallace became the first African American driver, second African American driver of all time uh, since Wendell Scott in 1963. He won Talladega. Now this race was 100. It was supposed to run yesterday. Rain delayed. 
rain to ran today. I watched it. It was a hundred and some laps. It was only like more than half complete, and they had to stop it because of the rain. And then they ruled that he won. So it was. Uh, but Bubba Wallace's car it's owned by Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin. So it was a, a big win. Michael Jordan wins again, <laughs> and for Bubba Wallace, so it was great. I mean, it was it was uh, it was very just in Talladega to win. It was a very meaningful win, and uh, Bubba Wallace is someone who has been talked about as a young emerging driver, and this was his first win. So this is great. Uh, the third go round of Fury and Wilder is going to be this Saturday night. Watch this fight. If you're any type of fight fan, buy it. The first two fights have been tremendous. Wilder stands in there. He has a devastating punching power. His first fight was a draw. They were both knocked down. The second fight, Fury won. They are entertaining fighters. They are enormous fighters. They are so tall. I think it's, I am so pumped for this. It is going to be a great fight. Wilder's got a new trainer. He's not going to go for the knockout. But Fury is, this is a good fight. If you want to watch, if, I, if you're bored with this fight, then you probably don't like boxing. Because I am really pumped for Fury Wilder 3. Fury's the champion. He has said he won the second fight. The first one was a draw. And now Wilder has a chance to go and, and even it for, to take his win. But I'm, this is going to be a real, this, there was just a fight in July, but Fury had COVID, so they were pushing now to October. Great fight. Can't wait to talk about it next week. So, Ira, you mentioned that you're going to go to the uh, play-in game in, in, uh, at Fenway Park to the Yankees and the Red Sox. What about next weekend? I'm not decided. Well, <laughs> I might be watching sports. We'll see. It's trying to take it too much out of me. I, I don't, there's really nothing to do unless I go to like Denver, Pittsburgh, or somehow go to Iowa, Penn State. But I really think I'm going to go to the game and probably just watch. There's so much I want to watch on TV in terms of all the, the games next weekend because baseball is going to be going on too. So it's like hard when you travel, you miss watching all the games. So I think that maybe next weekend I'm just going to be watching sports all weekend. But definitely so excited for Red Sox Yankees tomorrow night. And we are out of time. Ira, thank you so much. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.